Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to once again open up your words of truth and to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Father, we thank you for the things that we have learned, have experienced, the victories that have already started. And Lord, we just want to walk in those victories. We want to abide in your presence. And so, Father, as we see these meetings coming to a close, we're just asking that you will continue to pour out your grace upon us and allow your spirit to speak to our minds and open our eyes and help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, I pray, please start with my own mind and my own heart. You already know what's going on in my mind, Father. I pray that you will give peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, I ask that you will minister even to me as you minister through me to thy people. And I thank you that though these things may seem so impossible with man, we're grateful that all things are possible with God. Increase our faith through this study, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Very quick review. We saw yesterday that there's a major issue of separation that's taking place in Adventist homes today. Separation is coming basically in one of three forms. There is a kind of separation that is better known as divorce, where two individuals have discovered that they are completely, uh, they have run into irreconcilable differences. They cannot get along. Therefore, they have decided to leave the home and therefore they divorce one from another. That's one problem. But then you have the second problem, which is there's another type of separation where individuals still feel that their issues are not able to be reconciled. Therefore, they separate. They legally separate where one of the parties leaves the home and goes to another place and they are separated one from another. But then there is the one that is probably makes up the largest body of all, which is those who have not divorced and they have not legally separated, yet they find themselves in the home, but there is no love, there's no adoration, there's no time together, there's no communion. They are living in together, but it is as if they are live-in divorce. There's no relationship. There's no talking. There's no communion. They also are separated. Now, we looked at the fact that does God understand the issue of separations? Does he understand it? Yes, he does. Now, how did we find out that God understood the issues of separation? Did God go through a separation as it relates to the home structure? Yes, he did. And we saw that what was it that caused the separation? It was sin. Isaiah 59, the Bible says your iniquities have done what? Separated between you and your God and your sins have caused him to turn his face from you that he will not hear. Now, did God have a plan on how to break that separation and create union again? What was that plan that he had? What was the plan we talked about yesterday? We talked about the sanctuary. The sanctuary was God's plan to show man how he was going to take a separation issue and once again bring everybody back together again. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So therefore, we saw that the end result, the end result of the sanctuary was what? Remember we saw Exodus 25, 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I asked you a question. Is there a difference between dwelling and abiding somewhere? No, they're same, they're synonymous. So therefore, we went to John 15 and we saw that Christ says, abide in me as I abide in you. So as God comes down to dwell amongst us, he reaches us where we are so that he can do what? Bring us up to where he is. Ephesians 2, 6. We, our minds are in heavenly places. Now, understanding that, what was the end result of abiding in Christ? 1 John 3, 6. Turn there. 
We're going to go through it again because we want to make sure you get it. I don't want this to be a conference where there's a lot of emotional stimulus. We saw a lot of tears. We've seen a lot of tears. A lot of tears have been shed this weekend. A lot of tears, a lot of conviction, and a lot of these things. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you from my own experience, I remember a lot of things that I was touched by God and I cried about one day, but I went right back to those same old sins with even greater force a few days later. In other words, tears are not enough. Tears are very sincere. God marks every tear that falls from our eyes, but we can't let it stop there. We have to have in such a way that there's a continuum of the experiences that we've had so it goes beyond just an emotional stimulus. Are you following? So therefore, we have to intelligently know how to follow in God's truth. That's why we take notes. That's why we go step by step, text by text. Now, in 1 John 3, 6, we find the end result of abiding in Christ, God dwelling with us and us abiding in him. What is the end result? It says, if any man abides in Christ, what is the answer? He sinneth not. Now, does that text make sense? Yes, it does. Because remember, the whole purpose of God abiding with us and us abiding in him is so that he can get rid of the thing that caused the what? Separation. Separation. Amen. And we saw yesterday that even studying just the life of Jesus could possibly create confusion. Is there a lot of denominations and churches that study just the life of Jesus? But are they confused? What was that differentiated that we saw yesterday between the Seventh-day Adventist church and every other church? Who remembers? The sanctuary. But what was it about the sanctuary specifically? Remember, there were three, three steps, right? What's the first step? First step is courtyard or out of court. Second step? Holy place. Third step? Most holy place. Now, in order to get into the most holy place, where do you got to go first? You got to go to the courtyard. So you got to go through the courtyard to get to the holy to get to the most holy. Now, here's the question. Remember, we said, what took place in the courtyard? That was where the sacrifice, that's the highlight of the courtyard, is the, sacrificial, the, the sacrifice of the animal. Now watch this. Remember, what did the sacrifice of the animal represent? It represented Jesus. It represented him dying on the cross. Now, when the animal was killed, was there not another step that had to take place in the plan of salvation? Yes. So therefore... When the animal died on the altar of sacrifice or when Christ died on the cross, was that the end of the plan of salvation? No, it was not. So this is why we understand, brothers and sisters, that this is one of the key differentiating marks of the seven-day Adventist belief system versus all the other denominational belief systems. The other denominational belief systems believe that everything ended at the cross. But is that true? No, it is not. You read Great Controversy, page 489. It tells us that at the cross, Christ began his work of which he ascended into the heavenly sanctuary to complete in heaven. So it's very powerful when we understand the sanctuary services because it actually gives us a very clear picture of the work of Jesus Christ. Now. Where is it that God does the final and ultimate separation between sin and humanity? Is it in the outer court, the holy place, or the most holy place? That's in the most holy place. Amen. So that's why we said we have to go ahead and zoom in on the most holy place right now, because what time are we living in? We're living in the time of the most holy place. So Jesus wants to do something very special in yours and my heart. Now, you remember that we looked at this beautiful quote. There's a what? It says there is a sacred circle around every family which should be preserved. And how many other people are allowed in it? No other. What if it's mother-in-law? 
What if it's father-in-law? What if it's your dear uncle? So no one else is allowed. What if it's your best friend? No one's allowed, right? Okay, so no other one has any right in that circle. Now let's go on. The husband and wife should be how much? Now, what I like about the Bible is God will often set an ideal. I like it. Like, think about it. First John chapter two. Go there with me. God, he presents an ideal, but then he also acknowledges our reality to bring us up to our ideal. You'll find that this is a system of the way the Bible is written. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Let me give you an idea very quickly of how the Bible can show how God will typically introduce his ideal, and then after he presents the ideal, he'll then embrace our reality to bring us up to the ideal. 1 John chapter 2 is a great example of this. In 1 John, the second chapter, if you're there, please say amen. Amen. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, my little children... These things write I unto you that what? You sin not. Is that God's ideal? Yes, it is. So in the very first part of the sentence, you see, a lot of people in Christianity love the second sentence more than the first. And this is why we have some levels of confusion even within the movement. Because we love the second while we negate the first. The first sentence says, beloved or my little children, I wish above all things that you would do what? Sin not. That's the ideal. But then notice how God transitions to the reality. What does he say, however? He says, but when? Does he say when? No, he does not. He says if. He says, and if any man sins, what has happened? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So God says, look, I'm going to present a reality or present my ideal. My ideal, stop sinning. My ideal, sin not. That's the ideal. But then God says, but if you fall into a reality where you fall into sin, know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So you'll find that God often throughout the Bible, he'll present his ideal and then he'll meet us in our reality to show us how to build up to his ideal. Are you following? Now, God is presenting an ideal. He says the husband and wife should be what? All to each other. Now, is every husband and wife all to each other? No, that's why we have the gossiping. That's why we have individuals who are infiltrating the marriage covenant and bringing other people in and other parties in and they're getting and all this interference is taking place. So let's look at the ideal very quickly while we're also going to acknowledge God on how he can build us up to this ideal. It says the husband and wife should be all to each other. We should find as it relates to humanity, our highest satisfactions between each other's spouses, husband to wife, wife to husband. You and I should be all to each other. I appreciate when my wife would refer to me sometimes as she talks with friends and they may ask something about our relationship and she'll say, my husband is my best friend. That's a blessing, brothers and sisters, because you know what best friends typically are? People you share everything with. I remember when, you know, I I used to have friends in the world. And and, and when I did, and especially one guy, his name was Damien, and that was my best friend. And there was nothing he did not know about me. Nothing. That brother understood everything about me. Details that I didn't even have to share with him, I shared with him. But the reason why is because I felt there were no barriers there. I didn't feel like he's going to judge me or he's going to condemn me or he's going to this. It was like he was unadulteratedly my boy. And when you feel that way towards someone, you can go ahead and open up and say, hey, this is what's on my mind and on my heart. Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, prospective husbands and wives, we must understand that God's design was that the husband and wife should be all to each other. And when they are all to each other, then there's no reason to do the next thing. What does it say next? It says the wife should have how many? No No secrets to keep. You see, when, again, 
When, when, when you have that best friend relationship, it is something where there's no secret. You can let that person know anything, and they can let you know anything. Well, here it is. God is saying that, again, when a relationship is strong and when a relationship is tight, it should be in such a manner that there's no need to keep a secret from the person. There's nothing to try to hide. This is the idea, the ideal that God is trying to present to us. He says the wife should have no secrets to keep from her husband and let others know. And the husband should have no secrets to keep from his wife to relate to others. Now, again, the heart of his wife should be the grave for the faults of the husband. And the heart of the husband, the grave for his wife's faults. And you know the dead know not anything. Amen? Amen. Only Jesus has resurrection power. So you and I, once we allow those faults to be in that grave of our hearts, we should not try to resurrect it. And try to bring it back up and to use it against them and so on. Love is not a reminder of wrongdoings. So we find that God is presenting all these beautiful ideals here in Adventist Home 177. Now, once we look at these principles, we reviewed it yesterday, so I don't have to go into tremendous detail, but you get the point. God says this is the ideal. This is what I'm trying to set up. And I told you, young people who are single, you know, it's interesting. Somebody may come and say to one of the leaders here, hey, where are the meetings for the young people? Do you know this is the meeting for the young people? Seriously, these meetings are the meetings for the young people. I believe that schools, when we set up all these different evangelism schools, we go around showing everybody how to break down all these doctrines, but they don't know how to run a home. Brothers and sisters, it should, it should be a mandate. It should be mandatory from schools to churches, and the list goes on, that we teach the young people while they're single to know how to govern a home. Because one day they're going to, what's, what's one of the number one topics on a young person's mind? Relationships. What's one of the biggest reasons why a lot of ministries go down? Relationships. So how in the world can we claim that we're trying to teach people truth for this time and we teach them doctrine and prophecy and everything else and we ignore the most vital aspect of the church, the home? That makes no sense, brothers and sisters, none. And so you find that God says this is it because this is foundation. Everything gets built up from there. So God says, all right, this is the ideal. This is what I'm presenting. Now, in the most holy place, God not only wanted to go ahead and eliminate the separation and bring humanity back together with divinity, but there was an instrument in the most holy place that was kind of like the key tool of how he was going to go ahead and do his work. What was that instrument in there? What was the instrument in the most holy place? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Maybe I should have said furniture. I said instrument. Maybe that threw you off. What is the furniture, the article of furniture? It's the Ark of the Covenant, right? Now, I told you yesterday, there is great points that we can pull from the pot of manna. There's great points we can pull from the rod that budded. But what's the key point inside of the Ark that we have to all come face to face with in the judgment? What is it? It is none other but the law of God. So we find that it's through the Ten Commandments. James chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us that we will be judged by the law of liberty. Now, in this, we find that the law of God serves two very wonderful purposes. One of them we found in what verse yesterday? Who remembers? It wasn't John 3, 4. Two purposes of the law of God. All right, before we go to the verses, what are the two, what are the two things the law of God helps us see? Helps us understand sin, and it helps us what? Understand God's character. Now, based on these two points, what are the verses that we have to support this idea? Where in the Bible do we find that it helps us point out sin or understand what sin is? 
Very good. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. He says that I, would, I had not known sin but what? By the law. So I did not know what sin was except the law had helped me to see what it was. Then we also said, well, the law of God also reveals God's character. Now, how do you show that from the Bible? You're studying with somebody, you're sitting down with them. They say, okay, that sounds good, but I don't see that. How would you help somebody see that? Because you need to see it before you can help somebody else see it. How would you help them see that the law of God reveals God's character? How would you do that? Now, we actually went over this yesterday. So if you were taking notes, it shouldn't be a problem. You should be able to shoot it very quick. Okay, so we quoted Romans 7, uh, verse 12, where it says that the law is holy. What else? Just. What else? Good. Now, that's what the Bible says about the law. But what is this, how do you figure that that is a representation of God's character? Where'd you get that from? How do you know God is just holy and good? Seriously, in other words, stop talking Adventist language. You know, we, we know how we can talk to each other. You know how we can talk to each other. And you know, when I say 1844, you all know where I'm going. Chances are, if I go inside of your house and you got a security system, all I got to do is type in 1844 and I know how to get in your house. <laughs> right? Sooner or later, I'm going to figure it out. 1844, 1260, 1798. It's going to be one of those codes. <laughs> we, we just have SDA language. Now, it's all right. We can have SDA language. I, I, I understand that. But you got to understand, some folks out there, they don't know 1798, 1260, 1844, 2300. They don't know that stuff. So therefore, I want you to adopt the mindset that you can edify both the Seventh-day Adventist as well as the non. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things, let all things be done for edification. How do you know that God is holy, just, and good? As easily assumptive as it is. Y'all taking too long. You should have taken notes. All right, write it down. The Bible says the law is holy. Where in the Bible do we find that God is called holy? First Peter chapter one, verses 15 and 16. Write it down so that way you don't have to forget. I told you don't trust your brain, especially after you finish eating a meal, because that's how you did the study yesterday. Remember we talked about that, the great controversy? The, the, both the belly and the brain fighting for blood. Now, here we are, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. What does it say? It tells us that we are to be holy as God is holy. So does the Bible say God is holy? Yes, it does. What was the next thing the law was? The law was holy, but what else was it? Just. Where in the Bible do we find God is just? All right, I heard the right book. Deuteronomy, verse, chapter? Chapter 32, verse 4. Beautiful. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4 that God is just. The last thing on the list of the, of the law, it says the law was holy, it was just, but what else was it? It was good. Where in the Bible do we find that God is good? Somebody was taking notes. Where, where is it? Matthew? Chapter? All right, so I hear Romans 2. What, what verse you got, Brother Levert? Brother? Romans 2, 4? Now, Romans 2, 4 says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but it doesn't necessarily say God is good. So we can still get there. We can pull it from there. But if there's a text that says it directly, we should pull the direct text. You get what I'm saying? So Matthew 19, verse what? 17. Jesus says, why callest thou me good? There is none that is good but one that is God. So the Bible makes it clear that God is holy. God is just. God is good. So under the authority of the word of God, I can say that the law of God reveals God's character. Amen. And you can too. So we find that these are the two things that must be said. The law of God was to reveal God's character, and it also was to let us know that in its violation, it brings forth sin, which was separation from God. Therefore, 
we saw yesterday, according to Psalm 116, verse 42, it told us, let me make sure I got that right, Psalms 114:2, that God also referred to the nations of Israel as a sanctuary. So we find that God looks at family structures, because that's what the nations of Israel were. They were family structures. So God looks at families as a sanctuary, so that means that we can understand principles from the sanctuary on how to govern the family. Are you following? All right. Now, as there is a law in that most holy place, should there be laws in a household? So when a husband and wife come together, that means that there should be laws. You can't just jump into a marriage and just say, well, we're just going to do what we want, when we want, how we want. If it feels good, we do it. If it sounds good, we listen to it. If it tastes good, we eat it. There has to be laws that are to govern a household. Amen? Amen. Amen. We learned that from the sanctuary. So if you are here right now and you're saying, you know what? We have no laws that govern our home. We, we, it's, our home is a go-for-broke home. That's the kind of home I came from. I came from a home that it was go for broke. If you feel it, if it's all right, if it doesn't kill anybody, go ahead and do it. And that was basically it. Brothers and sisters, that type of thinking will absolutely destroy a home. The same way God had a law that was designed to govern how he was going to deal with making sure that the people were always united and not separated is the same way that we must have laws in our home that are governed so that it will keep us together and not separate us. That's a principle we learn, amen? So if you are represented in this room right now, and let's say you are in a marriage, preparing for a marriage or what have you, and you know that you don't know any law. Now, who's the lawgiver? Is it you or is it God? So therefore, when we talk about laws, we're not talking about homemade laws. It's not like homemade cookies and homemade cake. You can't just make up what you want when you want. What's going to happen is we're going to go to God and say, Father, what are the laws that you have set up for how a home should be structured? A home sanctuary should be structured. And what I want to do is I want those laws to be represented in my home. Now, question, who is the lawmaker in the home? We found out that the lawmaker is none other than the husband or the father. Remember this? All members of the family center in who? The father. It says he is the lawmaker. So the father or the husband, that is the one that is the lawmaker. This is not promoting arbitrary authority where the wife does not have a voice. That's not what inspiration is supporting. What inspiration is saying is that when an individual has been assigned, remember we talked about roles yesterday? When God assigns roles, he assigns the husband to be the one to lead out. And to present these laws. But of course the wife and the husband are dialoguing one with another and talking about God's truth and laws and how they are to be implemented in the home. But the husband is definitely the execution. He's the one that executes it. He's the one that develops it, puts it together, and says, all right, this is how it needs to be executed. The wife, in uh, humble cooperation, they say, all right, this is how our home is going to be governed, and this is how we're going to pass it down to the children when the children come. It says... He is the lawmaker, illustrating in his own manly bearing the sterner virtues, energy, integrity, honesty, patience, courage, diligence, and practical usefulness. These are the elements of the laws that are to be made in the home. That should be our study. That should be our study. When we put together laws that are designed to govern our homes, God says that these things, it definitely is going to represent the sterner virtues. And that the husband is very good for that. There are times where the wife can be the one who is represented more as the one filled with a more tender 
motherly compassion where the father may be the one that has a stronger, sterner virtue. That's all right. That's what God's design. But nevertheless, it says energy, integrity, honesty, patience, courage, diligence, and practical usefulness. This is to govern the mind of the house band. And then that house band, when that law is made in the home to govern the home, to protect from things that will cause a separation in the home, and to also reveal the things that are to be our goals of what we should reflect in the home, this is the mindset or the characteristics that should be in the individual and then the laws that are developed from the individual. Are you following so far? Amen. All right. It goes on to say, the father represents the divine lawgiver in his family. Who's the divine lawgiver? That is none other but God. So therefore, the father is actually supposed to be looked upon as God, especially to the children. The children are going to look at him and they're going to understand God through daddy and mommy before they're going to understand God in his individual person. So therefore, the father now understands I have a very serious and awesome role that I am supposed to play. This is why a brother has to be seriously connected with God if he dares to think about getting married. This idea that we show up to church casually, this idea that we read the scriptures casually, this idea that we pray casually, and then we're going to go ahead and try to start a home? Brothers and sisters, that will never work. It would never work. God says that you've got to be serious about God's business because you're going to understand. Remember, there are three things that every man is to be in his home. What were those three things we studied? He's supposed to be the priest. What else? What else? The lawgiver. And what else? The head of the household. Do you know that's the threefold role of every, every, every house band? He is called to be the priest. He's called to be the lawmaker. And he's called to be the head of the household. Those are the three things. Inspiration calls the house band, better known as husband. And so we find we're looking at the lawmaker. It says he is a laborer together with God, carrying out the gracious designs of God and establishing in his children upright principles, enabling them to form pure and virtuous characters because he has preoccupied the soul with that which will enable his children to render obedience not only to their earthly parent but also to their heavenly father that means that our goal is not simply to just have children that do what we say our goal is to develop children who actually love jesus and reflect his character believe it or not it's different i remember my wife and i you know we were sitting down with one couple years ago and uh we were all at, i guess we were at a park of some kind and the wife had, funny enough, they had the same amount of children that we did. And the wife would, would tell my wife, um, watch this. And she would do like a demonstration. So her children were all away. And then she would just call her children once. Just be like, you know, do a whistle or something like that. And then all of a sudden, those children would just, and, you know, they were, they were like soldiers. And they just started walking. And they went to mother. So... My wife and I, you know, we were, we were fairly young in present truth, and we didn't understand. So this, this couple was actually helping us and nurturing us in some good principles as it relates to home government. Well, I was very impressed. I really was. I said, man, look at that. Man. I said, boy, these, these, that's all right. They followed their mother and father. One time they called and didn't have to repeat themselves. This is great. So, you know, I'm excited about it. Well, some time went along. And as some time went along, got a chance to talk to these uh, children, and, and I got a chance to observe them when mother and father were not around. When mother and father were not around, a lot of their behaviors became very different. And I realized that the soldier, one, two, three, yes, mother, and all these other things, it was something that was done in front of the mother because they knew the wrath of the mother and father. 
But when the mother and father were gone, it was something that they were willing to let, I guess I would call it the real character inside, more so come out and shine. And that was a very solemn lesson for me to say, Father, while I do understand that for a period of time when children are growing up, there may be some more external behaviors of obedience that is necessary and good, but the chief goal is not to just simply get our children to just do everything we say. Our chief goal is to cultivate a love for Jesus where the character will become pure and virtuous so that whether mommy and daddy are around or not, they still love Jesus. That's the goal. So when the father is teaching, you know one of the reasons why I'm very excited about these classes that we've been doing here, and I'm not just talking about myself, I'm talking about every presenter from Sister Parker to uh, Brother Thompson to Brother Waller. What I love is that everything is resounding that we must take it from the head to the heart. Everything is coming across that way, is it not? That it's not enough to just have a theory of truth, but that theory must transition into an experimental religion. It has to become practical. It must be something that resides in the heart. This is what God set up when he's told us to go ahead and rear our children as the lawmakers in the home. Now, for time's sake, it said, no, you know what? I'm not going to pass that quote. I want to I hit that. It says, the father must not betray his what trust? His sacred trust. Did you know that God says it's a sacred trust that I am giving to you to let you have a wife and children? And to be that lawmaker, that head, and that priest of that home. As Adventist Home 2.12, it tells us that we must not betray our sacred trust. You know one of the key things that's causing a lot of house bands to betray, betray their trust right now? It's called a job. It's called a job. It's called the demands of life. It's called making money, business. There are many individuals that will surrender and be far more faithful to what brings in income than making sure that they're being a faithful house band and being that lawmaker, priest, and head of their household. For people like myself who are in ministry, I can guarantee you in ministry, it's, it's not a big money-making thing, and you, you, you understand that when you get in ministry. But even ministers, it is very, very easy, quite honestly, it is very, very easy to neglect wife and children for the purpose of furthering the work. And we see a lot of that taking place in the work right now, where ministers often will just neglect the more immediate ministry, the first ministry. And I plead with God all the time, Father, show me how to get balanced with this thing. And I know that a lot of other ministers are doing the same. So there are things that pull at us that causes us to become imbalanced so that we are not able to faithfully carry out the sacred trust that God has given to us. And God is warning us whether we be minister, God is warning us whether we be those who are the breadwinners, quote unquote, of the home, God is warning us saying, do not betray your sacred trust. It says he must not on any point yield up his parental authority. That's very solemn. We need to meditate on that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, we saw that outside of that, there's the head of the household. We talked about that yesterday. We gave all the quotes for that. Adventist Home 211, you go ahead and read that. The head of the household. We talked about the qualifications of the head of the household, the characteristics. Then we talked about being the priest of the household. When we talked about the priest of the household, Adventist Home 212. So all of these are falling under the chapter dealing with the house band. So when you go home, you want to go ahead and study out that house band so that way you can make sure that you understand what's supposed to take place as husband and wife. And don't forget, the reason God deals with the husband and wife primarily is because I want you to listen to this from Adventist Home page 16. This is in total harmony with why God came to Adam when Eve fell. It says... To a large extent, 
Parents create the atmosphere of the home circle. And when there is disagreement between father and mother, the children partake of the same spirit. So if there is disagreement, if there is bitterness, resentment, and anger, and all these different things, and if we allow those things to develop in our heart, it's like a cancer, and it will eat away at us. And then what's going to happen is, eventually, it's going to open doors where that same spirit is now going to touch the children. And this is why a lot of times parents will watch children fight, and we're saying, why do you always fight so much? And they're saying, because I learned from a perfect example. Are you following? So God wants to make it clear, remember, be what you've called your children to be. Whatever you want your children to be, you make sure you're it first. Amen? Amen. Now, inside of the ark, you remember, not only was there the law of God inside of the ark, but what was on top of the ark? There was a mercy seat. Is that right? There was a mercy seat. Now, go to the book of 1 John chapter 2. Notice this again. We're back in 1 John chapter 2. We're just pulling lessons from the most holy place to help guide and govern as it relates to the home structure. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says here. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Remember, the Bible says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you do what? That you sin not. Remember, that's the goal. Sin not. Don't do it. But then God goes ahead and he introduces his merciful character where he says, and if any man sin, what does the Bible say next? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we find, once again, God speaking to yours and my heart. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 32. In Ephesians 4 and verse 32, notice what the Bible says. It says, and be ye what? Kind. It says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. What does the next statement say? Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, the third chapter. In Colossians chapter 3, notice what the Bible says as we consider verse 13. The Bible is replete with this thought. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, notice what the Bible says here. It says, forbearing one another and doing what else? Forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also what? Do ye. Now, you remember when Pastor Kiela was uh, presenting on the topic of forgiveness, he quoted Christ's Object Lessons 251. And it said, God does not forgive because we forgive, but God forgives what? As we forgive. So therefore, you notice that the Bible is replete with the idea of not simply just extending forgiveness, but it says that we are to do it as Christ has forgiven us. Amen? Now, connect all these points now with Hebrews chapter 4. And I thought about this, and I was like, this is very important. This is a powerful principle even for the home structure. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Because there are very few who can do this in their homes today, but it can change by the grace of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, one of the things we know the husband is to be is not just simply the head and not just simply the lawmaker, but he's also a what? A priest, right? Now, look at this. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, it says, Let us hold fast our profession. Now, watch this. 
For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now look at the conclusion in verse 16. Let us therefore come how? Boldly unto where? The throne of grace, it says, that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It is true. When a home comes together, God says that there needs to be laws that are to govern that home. The purpose of those laws governing that home is to create barriers against things that could possibly separate the family structure in the home, but also to represent an ideal, a mode, or a characteristic that all the families should be striving for to be in complete harmony with one another. Are you following? That's the purpose of a law being set up in the home. But then we know, are there some times where people do not uphold the law? Is that right? Yes. Now, this is why I believe God also allowed that mercy seat to be above the law. So that way we could understand that if we sin, if there is a violation, there is an advocate that's on our side. There is mercy that should be available to us. There is forgiveness that should be extended to us, brothers and sisters. And when we mess up, we should be able to come boldly to that throne to receive mercy. Do you know how many households, when somebody messes up, they are overwhelmed with fear because they know not the kind of wrath they will experience from one of the two parties? And you know what that can produce? That can produce secrets that stays inside. And when that produces secrets that stays inside, it begins to build up. And we find ourselves now violating a ton of counsel that God has given to us on how a home should be governed. Brothers and sisters, while there are laws that should govern every home, if those laws are violated, we must also make a clear demonstration that there is a mercy seat in the home. We should, it should be clear that when someone messes up, if someone rather messes up, and they fall short of that, they should not be able to do this. And especially parents, you would do well to take this counsel as it relates to children. One of the reasons why we have a lot of young people who run away from home, one of the reasons why we have a lot of young people, I think about young ladies, and I, I remember hearing this a lot, especially in school. Young ladies, they get pregnant, and they were pastor's daughters. And what happened is they get pregnant, and then what happens next is they say, there is no way I can go home and tell my parents this. And you know what they say? Because if I go home, I, many a times I've heard pastor's daughters say this, unfortunately, regularly. They say, if my father finds out that I am pregnant, he will kill me. He will, he will disown me. He will kick me out of that house. Does that home represent a sanctuary? No. Does that home represent the principles of the most holy place? No, no it does not. There, we should understand that there's mercy. Now, keep in mind, was God merciful to David? Yes, yes he was. But was there a consequence still? So we're not saying that mercy means the absence of consequences. That's not what we're teaching. Amen? Amen. Amen. Follow the whole plan of the Bible. Amen? Amen? But we are to understand that that individual should be able to have such a relationship with the other party that they should be able to say that, you know what, I know I'm going to have to suffer a consequence for my decision, but I also know my father or my mother to be ones who demonstrate mercy, the mercy of God. That is something that should be seen. That wife should be able to say, I know I messed up on this point right here. I know I violated the laws of my home. But at the same point, while I know there more than likely will be a consequence for this, but I know that my husband also is a man who understands the mercy of God. 
This is to be a very deliberate mindset that when we set up our homes, our homes are designed to be like the sanctuary. And when we learn a lesson from especially the most holy place, we find that though there are laws there to govern it, if someone falls, we must make sure we're so connected to Jesus that we know how to demonstrate that mercy seat when it is necessary. Brothers and sisters, you'll be amazed. I'm serious. There's a lot of splits and schisms and breakdowns in homes because many of the people who make up the household are merciless. They are merciless. It's like if you messed up, you're done. It's over. And that's it. But God says, wait a minute. I just told you to forgive one another as. So therefore, if you're saying, I can't believe she did it again. I can't believe it. He did it again. And we begin to blow our top. Just remember that Jesus has every right to say, I can't believe it. He did it and she did it again. Is that how you want Christ to deal with you? You see, brothers and sisters, God teaches us that every home should have a law. There should be rules. There should be things that govern the home to do two purposes. What are the two purposes? One, there should be laws in a home to protect the sacred circle so that there would not be a separation or disconnect. But the other reason that those laws are in the home is to present to us a goal or ideal of where the marriage should be. Remember, that's the purpose of the law of God, to show us sin and to show us the character of God, the goal. It was supposed to present those two things. So the laws in our home should also govern those two principles. Then we saw that if any man sinned, there was an advocate. There was mercy. There was forgiveness. You know, one of the best things that I've ever discussed, you know one thing I found? I, I, all right, here I stand on it until I see differently. I have discovered it is impossible. It is impossible to hold a grudge against spouse or children if you're having daily communion with Jesus. I don't know. Now, if somebody says I do it, then, you know, maybe we need to talk and you need to educate me on how you do that. Because, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, when I have Bible study, when I study in the morning, I'm not just going through some quarterly lesson. I'm not, I'm not doing that because that, a lot of times that doesn't penetrate my heart at all. It doesn't do anything for my character development. It doesn't help me many a times appreciate the character of Christ. When I'm studying, I am deliberately in my morning devotions, I am pursuing the character of God. I am not trying to just simply understand a doctrinal point. We are told that what's going to really bring a revival in God's church is when we behold Jesus. Did you know that? Do you know that's what the spirit of prophecy is? When we behold Jesus, it talks about how it will bring a true revival and we will see our sinful selves for who we really are. Until Christ is seen, you will never see yourself for who you really are. And all we'll do is we'll compare ourselves among ourselves upon which the Bible says all who do so are not wise. So when I'm having that morning devotion, I'm looking for the excellence of his character. I'm looking for the majesty of his person. I am looking for the fact that it was my sins that put him on that cross. I am seeing his love and mercy and forgiveness. And as I behold these things of Jesus, it is so incredibly humbling, brothers and sisters, that when I look at what I did to him, that's why I love Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. The Bible says, and I will pour upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they will mourn 
as one who mourns for his only son. And they shall be in bitterness as one who is in bitterness for his firstborn. When you behold Christ, brothers and sisters, and you see this is what I did to you, considering this is what you did for me. And we marvel that you could still forgive me, love me and give me another chance. And God says, yes, I can. Now, God then says, now, which one is worse? What you did to me or what your wife did to you? What you did to me or what your son or daughter did to you? What you did to me or what your husband did to you? And brothers and sisters, I can tell you the answer, even though I don't know your lives. There's nothing that anyone has done to you, as bad and legitimately bad as it is, there's nothing anybody has done to you that is worse than what you did to Jesus. And when you can see that, you will find that God can take away that resentment. I'm so glad that according to the sanctuary and the beautiful message of John 1:29, John never said, behold, the Lamb of God that receiveth the sin of the world. Is that what the text says? It says, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus can take it away. Christ Object Lessons 159 tells us that no one can overcome self by his self. It says, when we understand this, the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. So when we understand this, this is how we can find mercy seats set up in our houses. This is how we can start seeing more of that mercy seat. While law must be there, brothers and sisters, the love of God manifested through that mercy seat must be there as well. Law and grace go together. They are not enemies one to another. So therefore, there must be a mercy seat in every home. One more lesson. There was also something that was known as the Shekinah glory. Now, when we think about the Shekinah glory, you don't find the word Shekinah in the Bible. You can't find that word. But what you do is when you read Exodus 25, 21 through 22, and you read Leviticus 16, 2, what it does show is it shows that God's presence was in the most holy place. It shows that it says his presence was in the cloud in between the cherubims. So therefore, this is where this term, the Shekinah glory, this very presence of God that is there. And when the presence of God was there, brothers and sisters, that was also God again saying, it is through my presence being in the midst of my people that this is how I'm going to get rid of the thing that caused the separation. That's why I love uh, Desire of Ages. Every time somebody says, Brother Lemon, please make it plain victory over sin. How, how can you do it? I said, well, if I did it with the Bible, it would be one point, but I'm going to do it with the spirit of prophecy on this point for time's sake. My favorite quote, victory over sin, made simple. Desire of Ages 668. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our lives will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. And I don't think people are typically struggling with that which they hate. The reason why we sin so much is because we love it. And you know you're loyal to what you love. What you, loyal, what you love is what you're loyal to. If you, if you love self, you're going to be so loyal to self that it doesn't matter how many times you hear health reform, you're going to eat what you want. If you love self, 
no matter how much counsel God gives on dress reform and the list goes on, brothers and sisters, as long as there's a love for self and no love for Jesus, brothers and sisters, you're going to be loyal to what you love. And so you'll go ahead and you'll put on your, your holy garments on Sabbath, and as soon as the sun sets, you'll put right back on the garments of a harlot. Because we're loyal to what we love. It's acting. But you know what Jesus said? If you love me, keep my commandments. What is sin? The breaking of God's commandments. So what's victory over sin? Keeping God's commandments. What helps it happen? Love. So you want spirit of prophecy? Desire of Ages 668. You want Bible? John 14, 15. They're both saying the same thing. When we love God, you'll have victory over sin. Because you're loyal to what you love. The most holy place had the very presence of God in its midst, brothers and sisters. And this is why when we understand this, this is how we can see the outpouring of God's spirit. You see, go to Ephesians 5. We're looking at some final points here. Ephesians chapter 5. And notice what it says in verse 18. We must allow our homes to be a place where angels love to dwell. You heard Brother Waller talk about it yesterday that when we start arguing and all those things, Jesus says, well, I have to step out. We're told in the book, Messages to Young People, that when there's certain forms of music we play, it literally makes angels turn away. Angels were literally, Ellen says there was one case where angels were on their way to a home. But as they heard the music, and it sounded like the same music that would come from a club, and she did not say lyrics. She said music. She says when the angels heard the music, and the music sounded exactly like that, which came from a club, it says the angels turned away from that house. There are things that we can do that can push out the presence of God. When God says, no, I want my presence to be there. Remember, the most holy place was a place where the presence of God was. We must make sure that our home is a place where the presence of God can dwell. And so you'll find that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, I love it. It says right there in verse 18, Ephesians 5 and verse 18. It said, well, in fact, verse 16, because in truth, verse 16 is many of our reality. Some of us say, oh, I messed up. Oh, no, my home has not been representative of the most holy place. My home has not reflected these characteristics we've been studying today. And you know what God says? Verse 16, it says redeeming the time. You can't rewind time, but you can redeem time. That means from this day forward. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Verse 18, it says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. The same way that most holy place was filled with the presence of God. Our lives must be lives where we are filled with the Spirit of God. That all that is demonstrated is nothing but the fruit of that same Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. If we can learn how to avail our hearts to God so that he can work in us and through us for his glory, brothers and sisters, this must be the science and song of yours and my home. If we can learn these principles, I believe God will do something wonderful. And you remember, while the Bible says in Ephesians 5, in verse 18, that we are to be filled with the Spirit, remember Ephesians 4 and verse 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Brothers and sisters, this is why when you have a home, you want to do all the things that obviously would invite God's presence. This is why morning and evening worship, it is not negotiable. We got to stop that, brothers and sisters. Seriously, I'm serious. I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to family. 
We know how it is. Some days we get up, and whether we get up late or this, that, and the other happens, and before you know it, we're on our run. We're saying we got to do this, that, and the other. Brothers and sisters, morning and evening worship is not negotiable. It's not negotiable. you got to make it your mission. And my heart goes out because I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of us, we have jobs and we have businesses, and not all success comes from Jesus. You remember that Satan was right there on that mountain. He said, look, I'll give you success. Satan said that. Because you know how it is, brothers and sisters, more income, more responsibility, more time surrendered. And that time surrendered is time taken away from something else. And it doesn't always have to be money. It could even be ministry. Again, we can get so caught up and say, well, I have to do this, that, and the other ministerial endeavor that we get to a point that we start to compromise on things that God says are non-negotiables. Morning and evening worship non-negotiable. If you're in the car and you're driving back from the supermarket and you find, oh man, we're not home at the altar like we should be, that's all right. Your, home, your, your car is now that altar. You go ahead and you cut that radio off and you roll the windows up from all the noise of the wind. You say, all right, children, who's going to have prayer? And then you have one of those children pray and then you say, all right, pick two songs. We don't have our hymnals. That's all right. You should be memorizing at least some song. Can't you sing something? <laughs> you go ahead and you start singing those songs in the car. You lift your voices, that car becomes a sanctuary. You start worshiping God in that sanctuary. You're not home like you should have been. You're not home where you can all be on the altar and conveniently kneeling together and doing it in the way that's usual. You're right there on the road somewhere. But brothers and sisters, it's not negotiable. It's not negotiable. You see, Jesus understood that when Jesus is in the family, happy, happy home. Happy, happy home. When there's husband, wife, children, even the dog. (laughs) But most importantly, Jesus. Jesus in the family. Happy, happy home. I'll never forget one time we were singing in our little country retreat there in Monticello, Georgia, and we were singing with our windows open, and we were just singing, and we were lifting up our voices, and do you know a bird just came and just landed right by, remember that? And the bird just came right by, and it was like the bird was just harmonizing with us. And the birds just, you know, just going on while we all haven't worshipped together. I mean, it was so sweet. I mean, that just touched us to see that. Brothers and sisters, if we can understand that God says there's lessons from the sanctuary for our homes. And we just looked at a few little lessons here just from the most holy place. And Christ says, remember, every home needs to have laws. Don't go to a lawless home. Lawlessness, the Bible calls sin. If you find that a lot of sin takes place in your homes, probably because there's no laws there. So you go ahead and you start, you know, revival, reform, start getting connected. If there's no family worship, if it's sporadic and these things, you make sure that from this day forward, it's over. From this day forward, it's Jesus and me in the sanctuary. You start getting with him together. And you find, brothers and sisters, that God will do something miraculous. He will cause our homes to become so well-ordered and well-disciplined that even when you say nothing, you're preaching the loudest of sermons. And God says, this is what I want to do. I want to be in that family circle because no circle is sacred unless Jesus is there because he's the one that is holy. And the only holiness that we have is that which Christ gives us. So if today you're saying, Lord, I want to make sure that my home is going to reflect the sanctuary. I want to make sure my home is going to be a place where we have law, we have mercy, we have God's presence. Did you ever look at the order of that? Law, mercy, God's presence, his character.
And God says, that's how I'm going to build you up. I'm going to build you up like that. And you'll find that God will do it. God's going to heal a lot of homes in this place. I believe that God has already started, and I'm thankful that that which he has begun, he'll be able to perform it to the perfect day. Do you believe that? If you believe it, then would you kneel with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for these beautiful gems that we can learn from thy sanctuary services. Lord, I praise you and thank you that truly thy way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Lord, may you help all of us today. I pray on behalf of those who already have established homes, but perhaps it was not in your order. But Father, as they're kneeling, husbands and wives, I believe, are coming together and pressing together and saying, you know what? By the grace of God, it's going to be Jesus and me in the sanctuary. And we thank you that our homes can be turned into sanctuaries where the presence of God can dwell among us. Lord, I pray on behalf of those who are preparing for homes that they will take these principles to heart, and that they will begin searching their hearts to see the laws that you have set for every household. And then may they abide by them. Father, I pray that you will ever introduce your love and forgiveness and mercy to them so that there will always be a mercy seat there. And may they understand the things that invite your presence as well as the things that push it away. And Lord, I pray may your presence ever be there. May that home that is in the process of being developed, I pray, dear God, that it will be a place that angels and thy spirit loves to dwell. Father, for those who are single and perhaps they're not even at the ages, to even start contemplating courtship and marriage. Lord, these are foundational principles that they must learn now so that they will not enter into covenants and have to learn the hard way. And so, Lord, I pray help our young friends to take these things to heart. May they implement these principles as best possible in their minds now so that if and when the time would come that you would graduate them into courtship and marriage, they will know in advance on how to set up a true Seventh-day Adventist home. I thank you, dear God, that you have heard this prayer, and I pray that your healing work and healing power that has begun will be performed all the way up to the perfect day. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770 770- Two seven four nine five three seven. That's seven seven zero two seven four nine five three seven. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.